He's an innovator who runs one of the top public courses in the country and knows the game inside and out. If you run a golf course, you want to hear what Murray McCourt has to say. Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show, coming up! Our guest today hails from Stetler, Alberta. He was an assistant pro at the Wolf Creek Golf Club, also an assistant at Fort in View Golf Club. He was head professional at Nanton Golf Club, general manager, executive professional, part owner of the Ranch Golf and Country Club, PGA of Alberta Top 100 winner, PGA of Alberta Club Professional of the Year, PGA of Alberta Executive Professional of the Year, host of the VIP Golf Show on TSN 1260, now on podcast, author of Outside the Tee Box, My Personal Journey and Secrets of Success in the Golf Business. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the program, Murray McCourt. Murray, great to have you here, my friend. Well, thanks so much for the invite. Appreciate it a lot, Joe. Well, you know, I, I got a chance to meet you briefly when we were uh, in, in Edmonton, uh, you know, about a month ago. Loved the track. The ranch is beautiful in, in amazing condition. But we like to start right at the beginning. How do you get from Stetler, Alberta to... Uh, to a career in the golf business? Well, I, that's a great question, actually, because uh, I just played that golf back in Settler uh, a little bit ago, and it hasn't changed very much, but just a small little nine-hole golf course uh, in Settler. But the thing about it is it's a small town, just 5,000 people, and I had unlimited access. I'd literally wake up in the morning, ride my bike uh, to the golf course, uh, play, walk around the nine-hole loop, time and time and time again, all day long, there was no driving range, so I couldn't practice, but I just played and played and played and played, and I just loved the game and was fortunate enough to get good pretty fast, and uh, I just had a passion for the game and the industry, and I wanted to jump into it, so uh, I decided quite young when I was in grade nine that it was going to be my career path, and uh, I applied to go to the San Diego Golf Academy when I was in high school and was fortunate enough to be accepted, and Right after I graduated from high school, off to California I went and uh, never looked back. Yeah, well, I you know I read the book, great book, and uh, I, uh, I I I want I noticed that your parents had quite a bit to do with with you, with your success. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, my parents don't golf, and uh, not if you put a golf ball in front of them right now, they probably wouldn't even touch it. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But really, uh, work ethic is what I learned so much from my parents. My dad was a steam engineer. He ran the Nevis gas plant, which is about a half an hour drive away from Stetler. But he also had a side gig where he worked in his shop, woodworking and, and different things where he made products that he sold across stores across all of Western Canada. And my mom was a piano teacher, and she would teach piano before school started. At lunch hour, she'd have students. And then students uh, from right after school all the way till I was already in bed. and and they just worked hard and i recognized uh, that that you know to be successful in life you have to work hard and put a lot of time and effort in, into what you do so i appreciate the fact that uh, i got to witness that from my parents and, and learn from it and uh, you know hard work has paid off for me as well well it helped the fact that you can hit the ball uh, over 300 yards can you still bomb it pretty good i do yeah uh you know i in the book, it talks a lot about my fitness journey. And so I'm right now at 53 years old, I'm probably as fit and as strong as I've ever been. And I, I hit them over 300 more than I hit them under 300, I think. But depending, if I'm playing with my friends, they always go straight. But if I get in a tournament, I get a little nervous and they go a little sideways once in a while. I don't know how that works. <laughs> don't get nervous in those tournaments, I think. Yeah, I know. Uh, the three wood makes me more nervous than the five wood, but that's okay. So, uh, the uh, so the book uh, outside the tee box, my personal journey, secrets of success in golf business, and you talk about uh, the San Diego Golf Academy and how you end up he heading there. I guess by chance out, out out of high school, but what did you learn at uh, SDGA? Well, I mean, it was a fabulous program. Uh, there used to be golf programs in Canada, but I mean, it was nothing like the San Diego Golf Academy. Yet. Our instructors were from San Diego State University on the business side, 
but on the, the school was actually on a 27 hole golf course and some of the instructors on the golf side like uh, who we were getting taught by people that taught players on the pga tour and lpga tour they were teaching us how to teach uh, like a short game and putting technique class was a taught by a gentleman by the name of ernie witt who at one time, I don't know if he still has the record for the longest consecutive streak on the PGA Tour without a three putt. So that's a pretty good guy to learn the short game from and learn how to teach the short game from. So the opportunities that we had were uh, incredible because the school was right on a 27-hole golf course. In the third semester, you learned how to run golf tournaments. Well, you run how you learn how to run a golf tournament is we had a tournament every single Friday for the school. So. You know, we'd literally go to school from 8 until 12. I'd wander over to the snack shack, have a hot dog and a bottle of water for lunch. And then I was on the tee playing golf every day. And there was a driving range uh, really close to where we lived. So we were practicing every night and on the weekends at this driving range where it was in San Diego. Phil Mickelson and I were about the same age. He would practice at the driving range sometimes. And, you know, it's just an incredible opportunity to, to go and, and play golf year round and, and learn from some of the best. My, I think my record for holes without uh, a three putt is two, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so, so this guy's pretty good. Um, so what, what was it to, uh, that made you decide that you'd rather be a, a teaching pro rather than a touring pro? Well, I'm not a teaching pro. I've never been, uh, I, I have taught a lot of lessons in my life when I was an assistant, but I wanted to be a, a club pro and, you know, eventually general manager, which I, which I am now, but uh, I, when I was down in college, I did dabble a little bit on the Golden State Tour, and you know, growing up in Stettler, you know, I was the best golfer in Stettler and had some success around, you know, Alberta uh, here and there as a junior. And but man, when you got out there and played professional golf against guys that were double my age, been playing year round since they were ten years old, I learned in a big hurry that my future was not on the playing side; that it was in the business side of golf and. But it was still great to have that opportunity to play some some tour golf on, on a lower level. But uh, you know, it opened my eyes to how good people really are. Right, and, and what you know, you talked about getting a chance to rub shoulders with guys like Phil Mickelson. You saw the best of the best when you were down there in San Diego. And so, um, what uh, leaving San Diego? Your your first paid gig was at Wolf Wolf Run. Uh, tell us about that experience. Well, Wolf Creek. Uh, Golf resort. Uh, at the time Wolf I Creek, went there, I, I had all, all kinds of opportunities to go uh, to many golf courses across Western Canada, coming out of the San Diego Golf Academy. And I chose Wolf Creek at that time. It was the 14th ranked golf course in the country. It was 40 minutes from my hometown. Uh, hosted the Alberta Open on the Canadian Tour every year. So it just seemed like a, a perfect fit to me. And so I, I was so grateful for that opportunity. And you know, got to play that golf course, uh, you know, most days and, and what a, what a great place to play and get an appreciation for the golf course designer, Rod Whitman, uh, who went on to build Cabot, uh, and, you know, many other great golf courses, uh, around the world. But, uh, you know, I, I learned from the Bold family again, hard work. Ryan Bold, who, uh, owned that golf course uh, with his family up until this past year. I mean, again, that hard work and the work ethic. He was always down in his office. He was always there. He was always working. I didn't really know what he was doing in his office, but he was always there. And, you know, so again, that, that work ethic that uh, you, you, you need to be successful, he had it and he showed it to me uh, there as well. And their whole family, it was a family run uh, golf course. And, you know, for a long time, it was very successful and highly regarded in, in the country. And again, the opportunity to be around uh, the Alberta Open for the years I was there, and some of the great players that came came through and 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 played, and uh, you know, get to rub shoulders with, with amazing people is just an opportunity for me to just soak everything in, especially at that part of my career when I was just getting my feet wet and and uh, all the different mentors and people that you can get information from and learn from is always valuable. Yeah. Speaking of people, you can get information and learn from, you got a chance to spend some time with Mo Norman, I believe at Wolf Creek and, and uh, tell us about your experience uh, w with Mo and what that was like. Wow. It, you know, it, obviously uh, a complete legend, uh, one of the best ball strikers that maybe ever lived. And 
what was just fascinating about that to me was the respect that he had from all these tour players. I mean, these guys are, some of those guys went on to play on the PGA Tour for years, but when Mo Norman went to the driving range, everybody stopped. Everyone quit doing what they're doing. They just wanted to watch this guy and listen to, listen to Mo Norman talk. And so he would sit there and hit balls and just explain what he was doing and, and why he was doing it. And, and like I said, like everyone just stopped doing what they're doing. That's how, that's how incredible Mo Norman was that he could literally stop, uh, you know, tour players from getting ready to play their round or from practicing and preparing because listening to him and watching what he was doing was more valuable than their own practice. To learn from, from him and hear what he had to say, uh, just incredible for sure. Yeah, unbelievable, pure swing. And so uh, you, you've got, uh, you know, this guy hitting ball. I, I've seen Mo hit balls before. I remember he was uh, friends with the guy who went a course near Kitchener. And uh, I, I saw him hit balls and like, you know, he, he'd, he'd call shots. He'd say, okay, I'm going to hit uh, 290 yards with a draw, 290 yards with a draw, 200, okay, two, 290 with a fade, 290 with a fade. He hit about 10 balls. He says, okay, go have a look. Those 10 balls will be within five yards of each other. And and it's 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 just I've never seen anything like it. It was it was beyond belief. And and uh, you know what do you take away after spending time there and, and watching a guy like that doing his thing? Well, you know, I guess just soaking up information. I mean, when you can be around that and just see the respect that he has, and you really understand. I mean, he was before my time in a lot of ways, but uh, you know, just to to recognize and realize how iconic he he was and i'll tell you another quick story about him uh, another mentor of mine when i was at wolf creek was mike lyons he was uh, a big teaching pro of the states and and was brought up by ryan bold to uh, be involved in the golf operation and was an incredible mentor for me and he used to play the canadian tour against mo norman and he told me uh, lots of mo norman stories and one of them they were it was the manitoba open and they were in the final pairing and through nine holes on the Sunday, they were kind of neck and neck battling it out for, for the title. And as they were walking in number 10, Mo Norman walked up the t- behind Mike, put his club up between his legs and give him a little tug, you know where, and yeah. told Mike, I'm going to demolish you on this back nine. You're, I'm going to just, I'm going to win this tournament. You're not. And <laughs> how intimidating is that? But as you know, with the autism with Mo Norman and, and, just that, you know, he was just, he marched to the beat of his own drum and to do something like that. And I don't know if Mo Norman really felt like he was doing that for intimidation. He just decided he was going to win the tournament. And when Mo Norman decided he was going to win a tournament, he was going to win. And, you know, it, he he was just that good. Like there's other stories of, you know, he was winning tournaments and he just would decide, I don't want to play on Sunday. I don't feel like it today. So he quit. Like that's... <laughs> You know, uh, just uh, oh, what a guy! You know, what a legend! Yeah, and you know, it was he was a he was a different cat. I mean, he was uh, like you said, marks uh, the beat of his own drum. And, and uh, uh, I'm sure you know, knowing Mo not as little as I knew him actually, but but you know, uh, I'm pretty sure that it was just an idea he had. Hey, I'm just gonna beat you. I mean, it's just would have come, just come out of him because that's the way he operated. Stuff just came yeah. out of him i mean he slipped in his car on the pga tour people just didn't do that kind of thing uh but but no mo norman did you know and then there's the legendary thing what do i play here to the caddy i i think it looks like a, probably a like a wedge driver hole hitting wedge then yeah. driver you know that yeah was, that was that, that was mo norman so uh you went off to uh, uh off to natton for your first head pro uh gig and uh, so tell me, tell me, tell us about Natton and, uh, you know, how cool it was to, to land your first uh, head gig. Well, you know, I was 23 years old when I got my first head pro job, which, you know, is not necessarily very normal. And certainly I was the youngest head no. pro in Alberta for a, a while there. But, you know, I just felt ready. Uh, maybe that was naive of me or uh, maybe a little cocky even at the time to think that I was ready at 23 year old, years old to be had pro so i just applied everywhere and i had a few opportunities and i ended up choosing nanton uh, you know an 18 hole golf course just outside of calgary and you know i thought that it was just felt like the right fit for me and you know what it was uh, 
went down there and uh, you know it's a great little golf course for a small town of uh, 40 minutes south of Calgary and um, you know had you know opportunity you know to kind of do my own thing and uh, you know I worked for the board but you know they kind of let me do my thing and and uh, it wasn't very busy at all when I first got there and you know I, I made it busy holy we there's this place 40 minutes away that I decided that's where I wanted to spend my marketing dollars and, and get people from Calgary driving down and drive down they did. And boy, we got all packed with golf tournaments, tournament after tournament after tournament. And uh, when we were able to, because there was member only times in the mornings on uh, on weekends. But uh, yeah, we, it got incredibly busy. And I was really fortunate after three years there, uh, I was able to have the food and beverage become my own private business as well, where most golf pros at Pro Shop might have been their own private business. Mm-hmm. And, and that and the beverage became my own private business. And that really, at that time, I I loved to go to a restaurant and eat dinner, but I didn't know anything about <laughs> running a restaurant, but I, I, I knew I could figure it out. And, uh, you know, it was great. Uh, it, it really... Uh, you know, I learned a lot and, and helped elevate my career to where I've gotten uh, by learning the food and beverage side. And, and you know, so it was just a great opportunity for me uh, to be there and had a lot of fun. So tell us about the Nanton Scramble, because I talked about your innovations, but this, this thing sounds like it was over the top. Yeah, it was, it was wild. So it was off Saturday and Sunday. And we had 344 players in it with waiting lists. Uh, the one year, there was 50 teams on the waiting list to, to get in. So we could have had like almost 100 players if we wanted to. Uh, you know, and it was wild. Morning shotgun, afternoon shotgun, both days. Uh, and the evening on the Saturday, I'd hire uh, comedians to come in and do a big comedy show and created this unique betting system. We, we used to be Calcutta's, but then... Calcutta's right. were banned, and so I created this other unique uh, betting system that just wasn't Calcutta, but it was a lot of fun and and allowed people to, to gamble and, and bet. And and you know we gave away so many prizes in that tournament that it was it was just a kid, and it's still going on today. I saw it just happened a couple of weeks ago, uh, 288 players, so it's not quite as big as it used to be. 344 is probably pushing it, and you know at my age now I couldn't have worked the hours that I had to work to put that thing. On back in the day, the food and beverage was, you know, our own private business as well, right? So, boy, the Friday before and the Saturday and the Sunday, I literally didn't sleep. It was just nonstop. But I, I'm a little old for that now. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I guess the fact you're 23 years old and energetic at the time is very helpful because you know you're you're running uh, tournaments like the you know 344 uh, Nanton scramble you've got food and beverage going on and and not only that but you had a side gig was as general manager of the okotoks bison's junior hockey yeah. club and how the heck yeah. does that come about and how do you manage to 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 uh you know shuffle uh-huh. that in there as well well i've always been a big sports guy and i love my hockey and i was just weird i was at a golf show uh selling some stuff uh, at a school in Okotoks and this guy came and visited with me for a while and he told me he was the general manager of the Foothills Bison's Junior Hockey Club and uh, they were playing a playoff game that afternoon against Stettler, which was my hometown and I happened to be going to that game as soon as I was done at the golf show. So I thought, <laughs> I'm going to be there. Stettler was my hometown. So, anyway, I went and him and I became a little bit of buddies or whatever. His name was Dennis Hatt and, and uh, you know, the next year he asked me if I'd help out with the team a little bit. I said, ah, sure. And then partway through that year, he, he was a banker and he said, well, I'm getting transferred to Lethbridge, so you're going to have to take over the team for the rest of the year. I'm like, oh, am I? I'm 24 years old. These players are up to 21 years old. Uh, and, uh, you know, so the, then at the end of the year, the board said, yeah, you can just keep going. And so, yeah, 11 years I was the GM of the Bison's Junior Hockey Club. And that was, that was so much fun. I mean, Boy, those kids, they became my pride and joy. They were like my own kids in a lot of ways, even though I was just a little bit older than when I first started. But, you know, we turned that into a juggernaut, too. Holy, we we, we won the league eight of the 11 years. I was the 
the GM, went to the provincial championships uh, the final six years in a row that I was a GM there. And in junior hockey, is, as you know, kids age out. So right. to, to have that type of success for like that long period of time is really unheard of in, in junior hockey. And we literally just reloaded every year. We lose some great players and I'd bring in more great players and we just keep her rolling. And it was a lot of fun. And, but you know, the success on the ice was obviously fun and important and everything, but boy, the life lessons that you learn uh, for these kids uh, is just so valuable. Uh, and the success is, is part of that, but just working together as a team and to, to see success, you have to work together as a team. And, and these kids really bought into to what we were trying to accomplish. And, and like there was kids that would drive past two or three towns to come and play for our team. Uh, like to drive past two or three towns that had teams in our league to play on our team because they want to be part of it. And, you know, that type of commitment and, and passion for our organization, uh, you know, bodes well for other aspects in their life moving forward. Well, you were you were meant to be a GM, whether it be in hockey or or golf, and and so you know if it had been hockey, I've got a feeling that you would have had some kind of success at, at the pro level as well. But you know, just three hundred thirty nine and fifty six—that was your record over the eleven seasons. Six straight trips to the provincials, as you mentioned, eight league titles. Uh, pretty pretty damn good. So, what's the similarities between running a hockey team and running a golf course? Well, it's all about people. Uh, people and culture and managing people and you know with, with the hockey team I got to know each player individually and what made them tick because uh, what makes one person tick certainly isn't what makes another person tick and and you need to really take that time and effort to get to know your people so when it comes to a golf course it's the same thing uh, you know everyone's different everyone needs needs something a little different from you and you know, your long-term staff, if you're going to build something great, you need to really learn and understand your people, what makes them tick, and and then motivate them in the ways they need to be motivated to see the success that you really can. The people skills, uh, obviously, it, it, you acquire that over time, but uh, you, you've definitely got you've definitely got that in spades, no doubt about it. Your record shows that. So how do you end up at the ranch? Tell us about that. Uh, that transition. Well, that's a kind of an interesting story too. Uh, you know, just go back to Nan for a second. I was in negotiations with the board of directors there to sign a lifetime contract. They needed a, a new, they need still do, but I've been the gone 17 years. They needed a new facility. And I and the board were talking that I was going to pay for half of the clubhouse and they would pay for the other half. But in return, I got a lifetime deal to stay as the, you know, the pro and the manager and run the food and beverage for as long as I wanted to. And, you know, that just didn't play itself out the way uh, I wanted to. Some people in the community were like, oh, the club should be making the money on the food and beverage, not Murray. And, and anyways, I ended up signing a five-year deal after long negotiations. And I just thought, you know, this didn't, didn't quite sit right with me that, I, I thought that maybe in five years there'd be more talk about, you know, the club should get the money off the food and beverage and not me. And and so I, I just decided, you know what, I want to leave on my own terms. And so I started looking for something different. And Edmonton is more home base for my family. My grandparents are up here, lots of cousins and aunts and uncles. And and so I started at Edmonton and the job of the ranch team. The ranch used to be the top 100 courses in the country. And sounded like a great opportunity. So I applied for the job and this is a different era where I had gone away on vacation after I interviewed for the job because I, did, I didn't think I was going to get it. So I didn't let them know that I was going away. But literally the day after I went away to the Dominican Republic, they phoned me, but I didn't bring my phone with me. It was a different era. And they offered me the job. And then I get back a week later, I phone right away. Yeah, I want a job. I want a job. And then I go, well, we didn't hear from you. We didn't think you wanted a job, so we moved on in a different direction. I'm like, oh no! Oh. So I, they went. They had moved on, and so I went back to Nanton, and uh, you know, I was kind of heartbroken. But 
around Christmas time that year, I'd heard a little rumor that the guy that they did end up hiring was was leaving and going to a different golf course. And so I phoned up one of the owners that I had interviewed with and uh, said, hey, I'm hearing this rumor and just, you know, I'm still interested in, and available. And he said, you are? And I'm like, yes, absolutely. And so he said, he said, the job posting's coming out tomorrow. There's somebody else I'm involved with. Send in your resume right away, but we'll get this going. And uh, so that other partner phoned me and uh, we talked on the phone for like half an hour. And I mean, yeah, I was hired. I didn't, uh, I, my interview and my time the year before set it up for me to just get the job. And so I had already started a job. Well, resumes were still coming in for the job that I was getting in the mail every day. Like, oh, this guy's trying for the job, but I already had it. And uh, started, uh, you know, fairly quickly. And, you know, it was the best move I ever made. It's been an incredible run. Well, what's an interesting coincidence, I suppose, is that we have a mutual friend, uh, Ty Patterson, and uh, he uh, he was at at, uh, at San Diego Golf Academy the same time you were. He happens to be one of the directors at the ranch. I mean, what are the you know what are the odds of running into a guy like that <laughs> at the ranch? Right, that was a pretty uh, pretty cool coincidence. Well, you know what, I didn't even remember him from San Diego <laughs> when right. I started at the ranch. He's telling me, well, I'm in San Diego. I'm like, you did? And, you know, I went back. I looked at a couple of old school pictures, and I saw him there. So I, he was in some of the pictures that I had. So I'm like, hmm, how do I not remember him? But, yeah. But, yeah, his his dad uh, was one of the original owners of the of the ranch, and uh, yeah, he passed away uh, you know, just a long, long time ago now, but before I started at the ranch. And, and yeah, so uh, Tyler's brother, Wes, is, you know, actually the acting uh director or whatever for on the, that family shares and but tyler is part of it for sure yeah so uh you have a chapter in your book called you are what you eat and uh, tell us about uh, your transformation because at one time you're about 250 pounds i i, I understand yeah i i was uh, not a small man <laughs> and uh man my lifestyle wasn't great for a lot of years and uh you know i yeah, I didn't take care of my body and, you know, yeah, it wasn't good. I wasn't in a good place. I had lots of issues in my personal life, but, you know, I always had my professional life and my career was everything to me, but it didn't, wasn't taking care of me uh, the way I needed to. And, you know, so I started to make some changes. I, a doctor once told me I'm not going to live to see 40 because I, the way I ate and I was just so unhealthy. I, I didn't eat anything. I mean, I told I could literally list off on my two hands the things that I would eat, and none of them would help. And you know, and I you know drank a little bit too much, and you know, I eat out in restaurants all the time, and it'd always be fries and pizza and wings and just nothing, nothing good. And I knew I needed to make a significant change, and and so it started with baby steps. I was doing some boot camps and trying to get into this and get into that, but. Uh, into a lot of things over the over the years, I, I really kind of got into yoga, which uh, in, in early on and starting to eat a little differently and drink a little less uh, in in the beginning. But then I became a huge runner, and uh, I never actually ran a, a half marathon. I was training for one. I was going to do one because I felt like uh, I needed that uh, you know, medal around my neck as some type of validation, but. Ultimately, I, I decided I didn't, and I, I, I've run lots of half marathons just for fun. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of Sundays I go, go out and run a half marathon, or I just run uh, at least ten miles just to, to get into. It. So uh, yeah, I was just crazy got into running, but over time, running was you know beating up my body a little bit and things like that, and I started to lift weights. Um, I still run a lot. Don't get me wrong, because I, I enjoy it. Uh, but with lifting weights, uh, you know, just the muscle tone, especially as you age, your muscle tone goes away on you unless you're building muscle. So very important uh, in my eyes to, to be lifting weights. And so I, I do lift a lot. I still do a good share of cardio, but I, I eat very healthy. I don't drink very much anymore. And yeah, I'm, my body's a lot different uh, now than it was before, uh, but I'm healthy. And you know, I have a five-year-old son, and I got into the kid game a little late in life, and and so I want to watch him grow up and get married and, and be successful in life, and 
to do that, I need to be healthy. And so that's my big motivation is, is uh, my son and you know, my wife and, and living a long, healthy life and enjoying my family. Uh, speaking of motivation, the, the ranch made you, by the way, I've, I've tried some of the healthy choices at the, at the ranch too. There's some great, great food there, by the way. So, uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the ranch made you a part owner and how significant was that in, in terms of, uh, you know, growing the business, growing the brand and making the ranch what it is today? Well, you know, it was, I was after my third year there, I got, they offered me a lifetime contract that included ownership and that was very special. I mean, they have the trust in, in me. I mean, I don't, I don't over doubled the profit of the business within three years. So they, they knew that they, they had what they were looking for and I had what I was looking for because I love the ranch. I mean, the property is amazing. Uh, it, it's such a great golf course and, and a fun place to be. And yeah, you know, from the moment that I had partnership, my, I just viewed driving through that door, through the gates and that amazing entrance road that we have that you experienced. I mean, it's mm -hmm. unbelievable drive in, but when I was driving in every day, knowing that I, I owned part of it, man, that was, that was it, it really just a, a different feeling uh, for me, but that was more within me. It, it didn't change how I operated anything uh, because I always put my heart and soul into everything I do. And, and, uh, yeah, so it didn't really change what I was doing. I just, but my attitude and my goal towards everything is each and every year, I expect us to get better. And mm -hmm. and how that happens, I'm not sure. I mean, it's great. We've, we've experienced a ton of success over the years, and I love to celebrate the success with the team. And then once that celebration is over, it's okay. What can we do to even get better? And how are we going to do that? Because if we don't keep getting better, I mean, and get and get stale in any way, man, then our customers are going to be like, "What's going on the ranch? They're not they're not improving anymore. They're not doing things differently." And and that's not mm -hmm. who I am. That's not who we are at the ranch. And and you know, we're always going to continue to to seek to elevate you know what we have to offer and make sure the experience of our guests is better and better. Well, the yeah, so the ranch it was a nice course to start with, but you know, how, how you know, it becomes one of the top public courses in the country, uh, uh, and in obviously one of the top two or three in Alberta. And uh, what were the some of the significant changes that you made early on that helped to uh, help get the ranch where it is? Well, the food and beverage side was was a big change when I got there, it was a cafeteria. There was no snack shack. Um, you know, literally, you'd walk in and you'd have to go up to the counter and say, "Yeah, can I get a jug of beer and a plate of nachos?" And then someone behind the counter would yell, "Hey, jug of beer and nachos!" And you'd have to walk up and and, and yeah. get it. And and oh man, that is not anything remotely close to what customers of the ranch would expect. It's a top hundred golf course in, in the country, you know, at one time. And, and, and I mean, man, you, you expect something far, far better than that. And it took some time because, you know, the staff was all used to doing that. And, you know, as much as I had to implore into people that that is not who we are and that is not what we're going to do, you know, I had to make some changes with some staff. Uh, and until I, I mean, now we're in a place today where I've got the best team. Oh man, are we loaded? We got the best team going, and a lot of golf courses, you know, have great, great staff for sure. But I mean, we're right there. We have such an amazing team. But it, it, it did take some time to get there. I inherited a couple of great people. Our superintendent uh, is still here today that I inherited. Derek Senko is his name, and he is so phenomenal so loyal and passionate uh, about the ranch and so good at what he does. You saw the conditions. It's, it's like that all the time. And our head pro, Sean Piercy, I hired him as a head pro my first year, but he'd been there as an assistant pro for seven years before that. And again, unbelievable. He's so good at what he does, so loyal, passionate about the ranch. And, you know, together, you know, when you have great people and you can mold, you know, they see your vision and they want to be part of what you're trying to do, that's great. Now we needed to find the people and some of the other pieces that were going to be ranch people, right? Like they, they need to understand who we are and what we're all about. And, and, you know, we're there, we've been there for a while now, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, but it, it took some time for sure. 
Well, I mean, is it is it just kind of luck that you ran into the right people, or? But I mean, obviously, you have to do some something to to keep them around, and you have to do something to, uh, you know, uh, find the right people. And what what is it like? What is there is there any trick to it, or is it just kind of you got lucky with the people you found? Well, like I said, I inherited Derek and uh, you know and Sean, so. That was that's a great start. When you have a head pro and you have a superintendent, and we've been together now. I mean, you're 17. So when you have that, that's a great starting point. Now, our office manager, uh, she's been with us for over a decade now, and I mean, I have I have all these people locked up into major long-term deals too because, hey, I want them. I want to give them security to know, hey, you're part of this, and you're and I want you here. So. So let's sign a long-term agreement so you have that security i have that security that you that you want to be here and you want to be part of this and, and that's great so you know our office manager i ended up uh hiring her and you know she applied and you know go through the interview process and i just knew she was the right fit and and she's been a, a great match but on the food and beverage and tournament side because we're the busiest tournament golf course in alberta by miles we have 181 tournaments booked right now for this year that's crazy wow so you know, on that event side and the food and beverage side, I, I have a chef now that I've had for over, uh, I think he's in year four, but he's uh, two years into a 10-year employment agreement. And so he's not going anywhere. He's phenomenal. But then the front of the house and the tournaments, you know, I I had a guy that I wanted that I've known for a long time. He's a golf pro, but I knew that he was the right fit for what I was looking for. And he was having some struggles in you know, some of his positions elsewhere and I told him, you know, we'll see to see how that plays out. But at the end of the year, I've got a really good job for you. And you know, when it played out in the way that, you know, wasn't great for him at this other facility, but I reached out to him and said, I I have an opportunity for you. And so we met and sat down and and sure enough, I mean it's been a perfect fit. He's been there for a number of years and he's in the midst of a of a couple years into a 10-year agreement so he'll be with us forever and then now even more recently we needed more help on the tournament side so just this year I uh, a guy named Trevor Rio he worked at the PGA of Alberta for nine years and so I watched him work in the PGA of Alberta for nine years and he was an awesome piece to the puzzle in the PGA of Alberta and he met a girl up in Edmonton and was getting married and, and you know so I just reached out to him and said hey I have an opportunity for you to work at the ranch if you maybe want to jump over from the PGA. And then we had a couple of meetings and sure enough, he's part of our team now too. And so sometimes it's the right, you know, it's not necessarily getting lucky. It's, you know, the people, you know who they are, you know what they do. And you, you just realize that they would be a good fit for you and your organization. So uh, it's about finding the right fit for sure. Yeah, that, that's scouting, Murray. You remember that from your hockey days, man. That's, that's all about scouting right there. So uh, so uh, let's talk about your three pillars, the three pillars which you talk about in the book, uh, premier conditions, customer service, unmatched values as, as being the, 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 the three pillars. For sure. So, you know, unmatched value, a lot of golf courses will tell you they offer great value. Uh, what I like about what we can do is Score Golf Magazine put out a ranking of the best golf courses in Canada by value two years ago. Uh, we were number one in Edmonton, number two in Alberta, number 30 in Canada. So it's not me or us at the ranch telling you that we offer unmatched value. It, it's Score Golf Magazine. And you know, because they do their rankings and, and, and whatnot. But I mean, that value is a huge piece to my business model and, and what I've always tried to call at the ranchers. A lot of golf courses in around the Edmonton area that charge more money than we do that aren't as good a golf course as we are. And, and so golfers know that. And uh, that's why we're packed. I mean, it is hard to get a tee time at the ranch because our, the demand to play is so high because we have that value. But Along with that value, we have premier conditions. And again, Derek Senko, our superintendent, he is so good at what he does. And 
we, out of the gate, each and every year, we're right there amongst the, the best conditioned golf courses in Edmonton, and we maintain that throughout the year. And each and every day when you come to play the ranch, you know what you're going to get. You're going to get a golf course that is in extremely great condition, and you're going to enjoy that aspect of it. And, and then the service. Again, we kind of pride ourselves on being a little bit more of the fun, laid-back, and accommodating uh, public golf course, you know, we don't necessarily have much of a dress code. We want you to come out and have some fun, enjoy a couple beers, and have a great time with your family. And uh, the way we even start people off the first tee is a little different than most than uh, most public golf courses. They're just paying you to the tee and off you go. We have a starter that greets you. And he's going to have a conversation with you. And what that conversation looks like is going to depend on who you are, how much you played the ranch, if, if we, we know you, we don't know you. Uh, that conversation is going to look a little different, but uh, you know, right from the beginning to the end, and even at the end, you're driving up the 18th fairway. A lot of golf courses do a good job of welcoming you, but there's a video of me on our GPS as you're finishing your round with me thanking you for being there because we do appreciate our guests. We really do appreciate them coming out each and every day and supporting us. And so that's why I have that video there of me thanking them. And, and you know, there's lots of golf courses that they could choose to play, but they chose us. And because they chose us that day, it, it, we appreciate it and we thank them for it very much. We, we had saw some video of, uh, of you there hitting the ball. It was, uh, it was some nice shots you made. Uh, also in that video, uh, we noticed a guy named Owen. He drove his ball and hit the marshal's cart. But you're not calling him marshals there. Another, another thing. What, tell, tell, what do you call them? Player assistants? What is it? Ambassadors. Ambassadors. Yeah, they're, it, they're, right. not, they're, not, they're not marshals. A marshal is an intimidating term that uh, oh, yeah. there you makes go. it so that they're authoritarian. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, that's not what our, what our guys do. I mean, sure, they're out there with the idea that they're helping with the pace of play and, and, and things like that. But we have different approaches with how they even do that. But they also carry suckers around with them and they'll offer you a, a sucker. But they're out there, they're raking some traps, they're checking the washrooms to make sure the washrooms are clean throughout the day. Uh, they're really just out there to help our guests have a better experience. And so that's why, you know, the term marshal just doesn't do it for us. Uh, and they're absolutely ambassadors uh, of the ranch and ambassadors of the game of golf and, and they're to help everyone enjoy it. Now, sure, the pace of play is something and they're going to have to have some conversations sometimes with people that aren't great, but you know, if you're a group that's out early in the day and you're going to be playing at a pace that isn't great, and it's going to make 200 people behind you not enjoy their round. Well, we'd rather upset right. those four people than the 200 people behind them. Exactly. Uh, and so we'll have, it'll have to get dealt with. But, uh, you know, hopefully uh, we've given them enough tools in their toolbox uh, to make those conversations a little less difficult. And, uh, and you know, almost make them feel good about maybe having to skip a hole or you know just busting mm -hmm. their body a little bit, and helping them understand the impact that their slow play is having on others instead of just saying, "Hurry up, you're not going fast enough, catch up with the group right. in front of you." Explain it to them, make them understand the impact that it has on everybody else. Yeah, that's that's a good thing. I did. I I even noticed that from from when we were there. So and the GPS uh, to the pin was was pretty awesome too. Another thing I noticed is you had nicely scattered tee boxes, and you know so so the you know the four tees would have a, 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 a significant advantage. How important is that in terms of enjoying yourself in the golf course? Well, picking the right tee box is imperative to the enjoyment of your day. I mean, if if you're playing a tee box is too far back from you and you're getting beat up. Uh, because it, it, it's just too challenging for you. How, how fun is that? You're not going to enjoy your day. So picking the right tee box is, is going to make you enjoy your round a little bit more. It's going to help you help you keep that proper pace of play and, and, and uh, have everyone on the course enjoying their day a little more. It just makes sense to play a tee box that you're going to enjoy and have fun. I mean, I, I don't even play the tips anymore when, when I play mm. golf. I mean, it, it's fun to play well. So... Why beat yourself up on the tips? <laughs> yeah, never happening for me, I can tell you that. So uh, you were named the PGA Tour uh, of Alberta Professional of the Year. Uh, tell us about receiving that honor. 
Well, yeah, uh, obviously extremely special when you get recognized by your peers in, in that way. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, a PGA of Alberta has such a lo long list of amazing golf pros. And when your name's up on that list as winning that award with, with all these other great professionals, yeah, it's an incredible honor. And um, yeah, my name's going to be up there. Uh, along that list forever and yeah I, I mean it, it's humbling I mean when you think about growing up in small town Stettler Alberta and yeah you wanted to get into the golf business and and now you know I've, I've won that award and, and several other awards and and written a book and have a, had a radio show for five years it's now digital podcast and YouTube and all that I mean it's been a whirlwind. It's been uh, such a blessing to get into this business. I love it. It's such a great sport, and and to be able to give back and you know help other golf pros and help people enjoy the game. It's it's awesome. And it's it's just a great sport and a great industry. You know, in your book, you talk about um, uh, if there's a there's a forward from Phil Berube, who is the CEO of uh, Alberta Golf. Uh, he talks about the changes you've made. 150 members of Golf Canada. You've hosted the men's amateur, women's amateur, the mid-amateur. Uh, why is it important uh, for for your course to hold events like that? Well, you know, a lot of golf courses don't like to host those events, but I view it as a marketing opportunity. I mean, when you host major championships events, we're hosting the Canadian PGA Assistant Championships later on in September this year. You, I mean, there's tons of marketing that goes around that and the exposure and during magazines and people talking but then when you get the best players in the province whether it's professionals whether it's amateurs uh, professionals across country and they're and they're playing your golf course and you're exposing it to them and they get the experience that we give them uh you know we we try to make sure they have amazing time when they're here and enjoy, set up the course so it's fun and enjoyable for them feed them some great food and and uh, take care of them treat them great and and then they go back and they, they tell their members, they tell their friends, oh my gosh, I played at the ranch and that course was so awesome. The food was so great. And so when those members or their friends are going to be in the Edmonton area looking for a place to play, where are they going to go? They're going to remember being told, oh, I got to go play the ranch because they had, you know, so-and-so had such a great experience there. And, you know, so I, I view it as marketing opportunities and, you know, the ranch is such a, a great golf course and a fun course to play. It's great to see the best players come out and, and challenge it and, and see how they do. We, you know, we've made it a way easier over the years, but still not that easy. People don't, people don't light up the ranch. You, uh, you, you've mentioned that there's a lot of celebrities play the ranch. I know that, uh, there's Elks members, of the Elks and the Oilers and the rush, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Do you have a, a favorite celebrity story from the ranch that you can tell without embarrassing the, uh, uh, oh. too much. <laughs> wow. You know, I, I got, got lots of those, but, uh, you know, probably one of the most special, Danny Kepley, the legendary linebacker, oh, yeah. probably the most defensive player in the history of the CFL. I, him and I became crazy tight, and we played golf, uh, you know, most pretty much every Sunday for several years before he moved back to the States. And, you know, it's, it's not necessarily an embarrassing story, although maybe I'll, I'll tie that in, but the stories that Danny Kepley would tell about what life was like back then is unbelievable. Like things that went on back in the seventies and football and, uh, and hockey, people would be going to jail now. Like, it's, right. It's crazy. The stories that, that Danny would, would tell, but uh, you know, another member of the group is Kevin Carius, who you might know local global, Sports guy for the last 25 years, uh -huh. and you play with us on the as well. Those two would always gamble. I don't like to gamble on the golf course because I don't like the it, playing for money with your friends ruins friendships, in my opinion. So I don't like to gamble at all. But they would gamble a lot. And the big pond on 18, I'm I'm contemplating calling it Lake Carius for Kevin Carius because when Kepley and him would play golf, there'd be so many presses going on to the 18th hole. And what would end up happening is whichever one of them would he hit the least number of balls into the pond on 18 would win all the money because they would like, <laughs> overflow the pond. All these balls just kept right. going in the pond, in the pond. Like, 
Holy guys. I don't know, but uh, a lot of a lot of fun. And Kepley, his fingers are all bent from all the broken hands he's had and, and fingers he's had and stuff like that over the years. But he still once in a while he pound one out over 300 yards, and I'm like, Cap, where does that come from? You go retroactive steroids from the 70s. I'm like, oh, was that? <laughs> but, oh yeah, Kepley was a, he was an unbelievable player, unbelievable. I'm sure like. You know, getting his hand stepped on, breaking fingers in helmets, and on and on and on and on. It would have yeah. been the best. But uh, the power would certainly be there. So uh, you were instrumental in starting the uh, uh, the Edmonton and Calgary golf shows, it, it, the success of them anyway. And uh, you have a radio show podcast you talked about. We have a clip here from, uh, it's called Pro Tip Pro-Am uh, from the golf show. Uh, let's have a look, Vic. Now it's time for the pro tip. We've got Murray McCourt, GM of the ranch here. And what do you have for us today? Well, typically on a hole like this, you're not going to want to hit a knockdown shot. You're going to want to hit a normal shot but because it's, it's a beautiful morning. But say the wind was into our face a little bit, you want, might want to keep the ball down under the wind. You're going to hit it, try a knockdown shot. So to hit a knockdown shot, what you're going to do is you're going to have your stance a little bit more open to the target than you normally would. You're going to play the ball a little bit further back in your stance than you would on a normal swing. And then what you're going to do is you're going to push your hands forward so you deal off the club a little bit, similar to what you would do on a, on a chip when you're chipping around the green. From there, when you swing the golf club, you're going to take it back just a little shorter than you normally would and follow through a little shorter than you normally would. But you need to ensure that you generate a lot of club head speed in that swing, even though it's shorter, to make sure that you still get the, the ball out as far as you normally want it to go. You're also choosing a little bit more club than normal as well. Uh, from this distance, normally I'd hit a 9-iron. I have a 7-iron in my hand to hit this shot because it's, gonna, it's not as long of a swing. Uh, so it's gonna, it's, you need a little bit more uh, club to get the shot onto the green. Oh, smooth. Wow, sweet. Just like that. It's oh. like you've played here before and played that yeah. hill. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the pro tips thing, tell us about that. I mean, first of all, uh, hitting a knockdown shot is no problem for me. I hit nothing but knockdown shots. So <laughs> I think well, that, that was a few. That was a few pounds ago too. My face is a little rounder there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But yeah so you do some of, of that stuff, and yeah, yeah, like make make uh, more more some make storms now. Uh, you know, she used to do that show, and that was always a lot of a lot of fun uh, doing things like that for sure. But, uh, <laughs> boy, that, I didn't even remember that. Where'd you dig that out of? Well, I, we found it. I went through the uh, the files and we found some stuff there. So I want to talk about, you know, we talked about, you know, Mo Norman being a Canadian phenom. And, and uh, you know, you mentioned it's difficult when you're going, you know, trying, having your thoughts about be, being a pro tour player, how difficult it is when you're here in the shortened season and everything else. How do we do it? Like, I mean, you, you look at Nick Taylor, for example, how cool was it to watch Nick Taylor, you know, at, at the Canadian Open finally break through a, you know, first time since Pat Fletcher in 1954. Uh, how cool was yeah. this moment for you? Well, that pot, holy, I mean, <laughs> I was just finished my Sunday round. We were watching this from the clubhouse at the ranch, and we were all jumping out of our chairs and screaming and yelling and hooting and hollering, just like everybody there is. And, and yeah. yeah, that was a special, no question about it. Now, you know, I have a little bit different take on that, though, than, than uh, others. And, and I, I don't want to devalue it too, too much because it was a very special moment. No, and, you know, first Canadian to win the Canadian Open a long time. And people are, are relating this, though. Uh, boy, people are going to remember this moment. It's going to get so many kids into golf and, and whatnot, like Mike Weir winning the Masters. And, man, I, I don't think so. It, 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 as special as it was, because it was so dramatic as part of that. But right. I mean, the Canadian Open, unfortunately, is has become, and now next year maybe a little different because they're changing the schedule again, but it was a B-list event. There was not a ton of quality players in, in that field because of where it was pigeonholed in the schedule. And, you know, to compare winning the B-list Canadian Open, and it sucks that the Canadian Open is, is kind of considered a B-list event because of where it is in the schedule, but it right. it is right now. And and to compare winning a Canadian Open compared to Mike Weir winning the Masters, 
boy, that's not comparable in my eyes by a long shot. Now, don't get me wrong. It was a special moment, and how he won it was, that was crazy. We're going to watch that putt for a lot, a lot of years uh, on, on video clips. But I don't feel as impactful as Mike Weir winning the Masters. Well, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. I, and, and I remember when when Weir won the Masters, he's playing against the absolute cream of the crop, the best of the best. And when he won uh, that Masters, you know that final round, he had a you know he's going head to head, and then he's winning in a playoff. I think he won in a playoff, didn't he uh, that year? Anyway, he he it was it was a great it was, it was sort of Taylor, but it was a, just a different field. So I think I, I agree. Probably tougher to do. No question about that. What do you think? Best Canadian golfer in, in history? Is there any doubt that it's, uh, it would be Brooke Henderson? Not anymore. I mean, and she's still young. She's got a lot of wins uh, still ahead of her in her in her future. Um, well, yeah, she's she's a great player and a great ambassador for the the sport uh, in Canada. And I mean, yeah, what she's doing is amazing. But uh, she might just be getting started. So. If uh, you know, we got we got players like you know Taylor winning Canadian Open, uh, Brooke Henderson. Does it seem to you like there's more uh, more better Canadians? And if there is, why why is that? Well, yeah, and if you look uh, now on the Corn Ferry Tour. Roger Sloan just won again this week. Ben Silverman already won. So those two guys are you know set up pretty well to potentially get on the PGA Tour. Next year, and a local fellow, Will Bateman from Edmonton, is on the Corn Ferry Tour, and he's having some success. And I mean, he might be a few years away from, uh, you know, getting on the PGA Tour, but I expect that he's going to get there. And and uh, you know, you just keep hearing of names and kids that are are coming up and playing. And you know, it's great. I think that the programs are getting better uh, for Canadians. And a, a lot of these guys go back to the previous conversation. Mike, we were in the Masters, a, a, a lot of guys like Adam Hagman and Nick Taylor, these guys are saying that that was the moment that they wanted to mm. be that guy. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, so, but now there's more programs that are getting kids into the game and, and hopefully making them more successful to continue that pipeline of the Canadian Tour, or sorry, the PGA Tour, because, man, that's, it's great to see so many Canadians out there. And I'm a, I'm a Tiger Woods guy. Always have been, and now that he's not really playing, it's like, oh, now who do I cheer for? And it's really the Canadians. I'm, every week, I'm, I'm, you know, following to see who's up there of the Canadians, and uh, you know, keep keeping my fingers crossed for the Canadian guys to get more wins. Speaking of Tiger, it recently named uh, PGA Tour's influential policy board member. Uh, what do you do? You think what kind of changes do you think he can make uh, on the tour? Well, he's obviously the most impactful person in the history of the game. And and I guess his future in terms of playing is very uncertain and unclear to anybody at this point, except for maybe him. He, he probably knows. But uh, I, I feel like it's awesome that he wants to get involved on this level to continue to give back and, I mean, use his power and his influence to make sure that the game is, is the best that it can be moving forward and and that the, the players are going to be looked after in the best way possible and the, the tour is going to be be as successful as it can possibly be. And, and there's nobody that has the power and influence of, of Tiger. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's great. I, I think it's just fabulous that he wants to stay involved, whether he gets back playing or not. Uh, is, I, I, just think it's great that he wants to stay involved and and give back to the tour in the game. Yeah, and maybe one day he'll be turning up the the uh, Champions Tour too. Uh, I got to ask you before we go. So, what's the best advice that uh, you've ever received, Murray? Oh, boy, oh boy, the best advice I've ever received. That is a loaded question, but you know, I'm just going to circle back to some of the things we talked about in the beginning and. And, uh, you know, you, you need to, you need to work hard. You get what you give, uh, in, in life, whether it's relationships, whether it's business. And, and so the more time and effort and work you put into your career, your family, the more you're going to get out of it. And, 
And, you know, so that work ethic that I, I've learned from parents and from the Bold family uh, has done well by me uh, in, in my career and, you know, in, in my life. And, and that, yeah, for sure, I think that's, that's what it is. You, you get out of life what you put into it, so you better give it your all. Right on. Well, listen, Mary, thank you for taking the time to join us. It's been a pleasure. It was a great play in the track and, and good luck with the, with the book. Uh, it's, a, it's a good book. I highly recommend it. Lots of good gems in there. And uh, yeah, good luck the rest with the rest of the season with the, at the ranch. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me, Joe. Uh, appreciate it. All right. We'll see you again next year, probably. All right. Uh, more sports when we come back. Now, my Woodbine Swiss Pick of the Week. Last week, I took the number six horse, Victoria's Chief, in the fifth race on Thursday's card at Woodbine. $111,000 event, six furlongs on the EP Taylor turf. She looked okay early, but faded away. Patrick Husbands rode the favorite Boston Tea Party to victory, pulling away down the stretch. John Charlemois, the trainer, the 143 triactor paid $100.60. This week, I'm looking at Thursday's sixth race, $111,000 maiden event, a mile and a quarter on the turf. The number four horse, Fenor, has a pair of seconds in the third and three starts for the Irish bread. Due for that first win, I would say. And let's go with the 345 Exactor and Triactor. Go to woodbine.com for all the latest racing info. You can also get the latest from Woodbine Thoroughbred and Woodbine Standard Bread on Instagram and Twitter. And go to hpibet.com and darkhorsebets.com to check out your wagering options. Get ready for an exhilarating ride as Canada's oldest and most prestigious thoroughbred race enters a new era. Woodbine Entertainment proudly presents the King's Plate, North America's longest continuously run stakes race. Join us on Sunday, August 20th, for the 164th edition of this prestigious $1 million race. It's an event like no other, a symbol of true excellence in Canadian sports. You too can rule the day of fashion, food, and world-class horse racing at the King's Plate, August 20th. Tickets at kingsplate.com. Addiction Rehab Toronto, Toronto's number one alcohol and drug treatment center, saving lives, reuniting families. The only treatment center in the province to offer medical detox, treatment, sober living, and lifetime aftercare all in one place. Our unique and specialized programs are designed to equip our clients with the tools to successfully lead a life of dignity, respect, and purpose. Let us help save your life or your loved one's life Call today for more information or to facilitate an intervention. 1-855-787-2424 or visit addictionrehabtoronto.ca. Attention security seekers. Ready to take control? Introducing Corporate Protection and Investigative Services, your ultimate solution. Retailers tired of losing profits to theft? Our retail loss prevention experts have you covered. Mobile patrol, close body protection, insured door persons, we've got your security needs covered from all angles. Background investigations and civil recovery programs, trust us for thorough solutions. Licensed by the Ministry of Solicitor General, fully insured and bonded. Visit www.corporateprotection.ca or call 1-800-827-1692 for top-notch security and private investigation services. And we want to thank all the folks who make this show possible. These are your friends, trusted business associates, and all-around great people. Thank you for your support of Canadian and local sports. A reminder that the show is available on iTunes, Spotify, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, as well as the Spanglish Network, Buzz TV, and Zingo TV. Also, check out the show on YouTube. All of our past great shows and clips are on there. There's lots of shorts of tons to choose from. Like and subscribe. It's absolutely free. Thanks once again to Marie McCourt for being on the program. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next time. 
For the shot of the week is brought to you by Sleepy Hollow Country Club. 60 years of tradition, providing a challenging and enjoyable golf experience just minutes from Toronto. Joe Tilly here. My wife Penny Claire and I recently took an amazing trip to Egypt and Jordan with Trip Oppo. And here are our top 10 must do's. Number four is touring the magnificent temples of Karnak, which date back over 3,000 years. The intricate hieroglyphs and impressive architecture left us in awe. I would highly recommend that you book your next trip through Trip Apple. Call them today. Brian Gribben Insurance Planning, helping you solidify your financial future. At BGIP, what we do that's unique in the marketplace is we show people how to spend and enjoy their money in their early years of retirement without the fear of running out. Also, we're able to do this without you having to change financial advisors. Please look us up at bgip.ca today. Let's book a 30-minute phone call to see how we can bring value to you and your family and your planning. Call Brian today for all your retirement needs. We did. 905-686-5678. MNP, a leading Canadian national accounting, tax, and business accounting firm. MNP proudly serves and responds to the need of their clients in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors. Through partner-led engagements, MNP provides a collaborative, cost-effective approach to do business and personal strategies to help people and organizations to succeed across the country and around the world. With local offices in Oshawa, Mississauga, Burlington, and more, their team is here to support you. Visit mnp.ca today to learn more. Guests on Joe Tilly Sports receive a gift certificate from Classica Imports, top-of-the-line imported men's clothing. Check out the Classica Essential Collection now. Go to shopclassica.com. Do you want to buy or sell a home? Could 31 years of real estate experience help you? Why not speak to an amazing team that loves to over-promise and over-deliver? Aldo has a tremendous team of experts on staff. They are committed to making your next real estate transaction smooth and comfortable. Call 416-GET-ALDO or visit getaldo.com. 